At MECED in Charlotte, North Carolina, we help transform the lives of young people who face obstacles. We are proud to point to the success of not only our graduates, but so many others in our community. Join us as we unlock the secrets to their success. You are going to hear how young people navigated a system that was not designed for everyone to succeed. You are going to be moved and inspired by the stories of each of our guests. Classes in session. Here is your host, Ross Dennis. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let's Reinvent School, the program that focuses on what's positive, not only what's wrong in our schools. In this Let's Reinvent School second season, we're going to explore what it takes to overcome obstacles and succeed, not just in school, but in life. You know, everyone has a story about their experiences in school. Many had to overcome prejudice or low expectations by teachers. Others were bullied because of their sexual orientation or economic status. Yet, despite enormous challenges, they prevailed. At MacEd, the nonprofit I'm honored to lead in Charlotte, North Carolina, we help transform the lives of young people who face obstacles. We're proud to point to the success, not only of our graduates, but so many others in our community. Today, we're pleased to welcome Courtney Moyer. Courtney, wait to hear this, is a joy curator. I love it. A story believer, an educator, a father, a community leader. He's been in education for nearly 10 years, and after making the life-altering choice to step out of the classroom, he began coaching male educators of color toward achieving their personal and professional goals. As rewarding as this journey has been, he knew that his impact belonged on the court with youth. He believes that joy should not be a tool that we cling to in order to survive in a world that was created for us, but instead, joy should be an emotion we experience in gratitude for the wonders of the world we live in. That's why he created Boy Joy, a space for boys of color to create meaning and language about their personal experiences, develop a relationship with their peers, and connect with the world around them. Welcome, Courtney. We're glad you're here. Joining us is our is our is our co-host, the amazing Shelly Bybee, MechEd COO. She's here to help us find themes, synthesize our uh, what we hear, what are the takeaways, what are the learnings from, from the conversation. We'll be hearing more from Shelly in the next segment. So, Courtney, I can't help, but I can't ask this question, right? Well, I'll set it up. Several years ago, I went to see a career counselor, and I was thinking about making a change in, in jobs. And the first question he asked me was, well, what, what brings you joy? Mm. I thought, uh, no one's really ever asked me that. I said, you know, what, what, were you a psychiatrist? I thought you were a career counselor. I'm going <laughs> <laughs> to need some time. And so I took, you know, about a month to really clarify what brings me joy. And, uh, and so I'm fascinated by the whole idea of this. How did this come about in your life? How did, how did you come to this place? Yeah. Um, I would love to hear your your response to you know of what brings you joy, but what brought me here? I've spent years holding on to the trauma uh, in my body, in my relationships, um, in my uh, professionalism. I spent years holding on to that trauma, and it was it was draining, you know. And I wanted to to fill those moments where 
I can experience gratitude more. I can live in gratitude. So that is what was that shift for me. And that's how I ultimately got into this place of, of really discovering each and every day of like what truly brings me joy. Mm. Yeah. And, and one of those things then has to be helping others do the same thing. That Absolutely. Brings you joy. Absolutely. And so you created Boy Joy. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so I, back in 2019, I was triggered. I saw news that students at my alma mater um, went to their administration um, sharing that they were sexually assaulted. And I felt triggered. And so instead of going, repeating, you know, um, poor coping mechanisms and quite transparently, um, my coping mechanism was um, alcohol. Mm -hmm. So instead of reverting back to those poor coping mechanisms, and I had my son with me at the time, um, I decided to go to therapy. Therapy was absolutely great. But then once um, we had an amazing healing journey laid out, and after my session, I received my invoice and I said, holy crap, I can't afford this. So do I go back to uh, finding my own ways to heal or do and so I can pay for therapy or do I go back uh, to eating ramen noodles? Um, and now and my son drink. is pardon and drinking and drinking. Yeah, yeah. And drinking. And now my son is impacted by these choices that I'm making. So that's ultimately how I got to this space. Um, and also listening to a podcast where um, this doctor, Dr. David, I am going to butcher his last name, so I'm just going to call him Dr. David at this moment. <laughs> he received a call in the middle of the night, and he could not get to this young lady who was having mental health challenges. And he gave them instructions on how to uh, navigate this as best as possible until she's discharged in three days. Well, three days turned into three weeks, and his uh, this young lady, her name was Erica, Erica's mother, called and said, hey, I just called to tell you that Erica completed suicide. And he gets defensive. He said, well, why didn't you come to me? I told you what to do. And she said, I'm sorry, I didn't have the $15 bus fare to make it to you. So $15 could have saved this young lady's life, theoretically, you know? So it's that type of thing, like having access to community, having access to resources so that we can begin our healing journey, whatever that may look like. Mm -hmm. So in your own life, looking back, uh, was there one person or a group of people that really assisted in your transformation? Oh, yeah. A group of people. Definitely yeah. a group of people, yeah. Um, it started off with my first professor that I made a connection with, Dr. Jamila Lynn. Um, I saw her cry. You know, I saw her be passionate that and, and I saw her anger and her frustration um, because a student called her out her name and she she just felt defeated in that moment. You know, so I saw a human behind all of the prestige behind her name. You know, um, I think about my mentor 
who my mother calls my guardian angel, um, who stepped in and believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. I think about the community that I've gained here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I have the privilege to 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 explore manhood with them, you know, and understand what that means to to be a father, to to be a friend, um, all of these things. So it was definitely a group of people. And experiences outside of school. I mean, did you have a? Would you say you had a really good school experience? Uh, High school. I. I had, I made the best out of it. <laughs> I made the best out of it. Yeah. Um, I believe that I was overlooked and didn't, um, because I wasn't a troublemaker, because I wasn't as energetic as my peers. Um, under so the I was overlooked. Absolutely. Right. Under the radar. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I made the best out of it, you know, um, yeah. track, yeah. basketball, the arts, yeah. all of oh. that. And you went to college. And I went to college. Yeah, and track scholarship. Yeah, <laughs> the track scholarship. That's yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I was just having a conversation yesterday with the, uh, a provost at University of North Carolina. And we talked about how we really should have a countywide summer bridge program, not just okay. for school, and pay students to attend. Because mm. the young people we work with, they work in the summertime. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you ask them to do it. Even if it's free, they can't do it. So I, I love I love that you're bringing that awareness to them, you know, because that's equity right there. You know, um, everyone doesn't have the resources to be able to not work during the summer to invest more in their uh, their academic endeavors. You know. Yeah, we talked about 15 to complete, you know, that if you if you take less, fewer than 15 credits, the probability of you not finishing and dropping out is really high. Mm, wow. Completion rated college for young black and brown boys in particular is really low. I, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. So thank you for that knowledge. I'm just, you know, it's interesting. The conversation is uh, about, about school just last night. And Shelly knows that I have all of this stuff, but I collect, I, I don't get rid of anything. I have all of my report cards from first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. And I wow. was, and what they measure is so different than what we measure today. On my report card, it measures obedience, leadership, cooperation, persistence, posture, grooming, cleanliness, self-discipline, in addition to math and reading, um, conduct. So I just I wonder sometimes about our schools and what we're doing to raise kids, not just test scores. Yeah, that you had me invested when you first started um, naming all of these attributes that um, your school named, but then it went to posture, and that kind of threw me off guard. Yeah. Obedience, you know, yeah. um, interesting, very interesting. But I think they. They check my nails. They check your nails. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yes. What was the name of your school? <laughs> it was a Catholic school. It was um, a Catholic school. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay. Full transparency. Um, but anyway, let's go back to you and your journey to get here. So you 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 were a teacher. You then mm -hmm. you worked 
what 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 subject i taught k2 so all subjects cool um, yeah yeah that's the challenge of k2 teachers that you, you have something like 13 different subjects to teach yeah yeah <laughs> with 30 plus kids yeah. in one classroom that's a lot yeah and then you you transition to another role with another organization mm-hmm. nonprofit uh helping encourage like it's encouraged teachers educators of color to either yep. enter and stay into the in the profession so your mission is, pr- is pretty clear i mean when you think about it it's it if there's a thread that runs through it and it's mm-hmm. it's all about you know helping helping others become their fullest or their big the greatest that they can be um how's the, how's it going with with um with boy joy yeah i mean is it what what does that actually mean are there kids enrolled in it yeah so boy joy started as an app you know i just wanted to create an app um to um support boys of color affirmations um incentives for it um engaging in this work and things of that sort um then it ended up evolving to uh, a summer camp experience uh, because i got tired of receiving no's from grants and fellowships and saying well what's the data behind why boys of color need spaces to heal you know and as dehumanizing as that that question could be you know i I took that energy uh, or that frustration and I transferred it into something else. So to answer your question of like what's going on with Boy Joy now is like now I'm having conversations with schools about what does it look like to uh, build authentic, genuine relationships with students, uh, specifically boys of color in a way that empowers uh, their voice, you know, in a way that honors their their cultural experiences. Um, it also looks like me hosting uh, SEL and leadership workshops um, with um, organizations, not only here in Charlotte, but also uh, nationally. Um, and now um, what is about to look like is um, I am making the bold decision to go back into the classroom. Um, yeah, I, this is, new news <laughs> um, that brings me joy <laughs> need thank, more you, thank you thank you um i was offered a leadership role um but i declined and asked to step into a fourth grade teacher role um so that i can be even more strategic in implementing um these values that i hold mm. into uh the classroom with these students now, lucky, lucky for the people in that school, lucky for the parents, the whole, yeah. um, you know, it's hard to keep teachers in the profession, as you know. Yeah, um, yeah. 30% decline in enrollment in ed schools, and teachers are fleeing the classroom in droves, uh, in part because they feel demoralized, not because of pay, mm-hmm. by the way. Everybody thinks it's money, but many of them are just demoralized by the system. So, well, yeah. you know, Boys in particular face all kinds of issues in school, black and brown boys. For example, discipline. 
there's data that shows that you know it's one thing if somebody lights a trash can on fire, but insubordination because of the look on your face is often uh, interpreted mm. in a way that's not you know it's not uh, an exact science, and you think you can see where prejudice actually interferes with that. Yeah, you know, um, and just having a voice or or always thinking. You have to be scared of kids, you know, that are, I don't know, bigger. I worry about the kids like you, not you, not that you as a kid flying under the radar, the ones who are just there. Mm-hmm. And hardly anyone knows who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so definitely not, that's not the case anymore because look at you, be hard to miss you. Hard, hard, it would be hard to overlook you. You got a kind of great vibe about you, style you. Great smile. <laughs> I received that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, really cool. So um, in a moment, we're going to take our first break. On that break, you're going to hear more about MechEd, uh, our mission, how we do and why we do what we do. You can always go to our website at www.meched.org. Um, might want to hit that donate button that comes up right as you uh, get on the website. But all, I also want to ask... Uh, our guest today, is there anything that you would like to promote, a, a website or um, the work? Yes. Um, I would like to promote Gar Health. I'm actually repping their um, their full gear right now. Um, they provide paid internship opportunities for uh, minority students uh, in, with minority-owned businesses. So cool. definitely support cool. Gar House any way that you can. And we'll talk more about Guardhouse when we get back from the break. Thanks, everyone, for listening so far. Don't miss this. Uh, it's going to get even more interesting, more exciting as we go into the second part of our program. So we'll see you on the other side. Thanks. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships, we'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. Goal to make sure that every every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school. That school isn't enough. That to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think I think I do think MECED is invested in me, um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students, and it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so, MECED means opportunity, family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways. We work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. 
The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections, and, and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not, I don't know. Having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know, different family. MechEd's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County, and we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places and different ways. With after school, you're, you're hitting on academics, you're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like you have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and Mac Ed, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Dennis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system, and we want to hear from you. Feel free to call in to ask a question or to tell us your story. Call in to 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show with Ross Dennis. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for hanging with us. We're here with Courtney Moyer and Shelley Bybee. Uh, Courtney, I want to return to a couple of things we've talked about in, in segment one. To what extent do you think gender uh, plays a role in the experiences of young people in school? Hmm. Gender playing a role in the experiences. Yeah, how they how uh, work for them. Yeah. Um, I believe that there's this, are you familiar with the with the work of, of Dr. Bobby Harrell, The Cycle of Socialization? Mm-mm. No, tell us. Okay, so essentially, it's um, she developed this model that explains the lens of identity and how it correlates with our lens of experiences as well. Um, so you have like we were we're all born into these biases and these stereotypes and prejudices, uh, etc., that are engraved into us uh, since birth by our families, by our loved ones. You know, um, for me, it was single parent mom three pair uh she raised three black boys you know and this we 
believed, we were taught that we have two strikes. You know, we weren't taught that we were beautiful. We weren't taught that, you know, we're all these things. We were taught that we had three, uh, two strikes. Don't screw up and get your last strike. No. Then you, all of these things are reinforced by our institutions and, and the culture. So schools, churches, hospitals, uh, the media that these young people listen to, um, even the language that they use, you know? Um, and then lastly, they, this reinforcement of these toxic beliefs or these ideologies results in misunderstood behaviors that are um, uh, generational, you know? Um, violence, stress, crime, dehumanization, all of these things. Um, for me, it was, it was self-doubt. It was silence. You know, it was guilt. So when you asked me this question about um, how gender shows up in these young people, I think that, uh, and how it plays a part in their education experience, I think, yes, gender is definitely one part, but it's all of these complex and uh, uh, identities that they are socialized to believe about themselves. Sure. That's interesting. Yeah. It's the first time I've heard that expression, like the two strikes that you're, mm. you're born with two strikes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Born with two strikes. Mm. And then when I decided to grow my hair into locks, you know, it's like, Oh, this is, this could be your third strike. You know, like you have to be careful, you know? So man, yeah, it's, that's, that's real. It's a and, lived reality. Yep. And you said guilt. Yeah. Where does that come from? Guilt. The guilt comes from um, me. How could I say this? The guilt comes from me choosing not to conform and me choosing to ask questions. And uh, if I do that, you know, now I'm punished or I'm labeled by my peers. Um, and as much as I love my mother, even by, you know, certain family members as well, you know, oh, you think you're better than us, you know, because you chose this route as opposed to this one, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the guilt that I'm holding on to. Like, um, do I truly think that I'm better than them? Um, am I really making the right decision if the people that I grew up with that taught me, you know, that took care of me, that I learned to love and everything are, are now in opposition towards the path that I chose. That's the guilt that comes. Yeah. In our own work, we see that quite a bit where, you know, mm -hmm. person goes off to college and, you know, somebody in the family is going, Oh, I guess you're better than us now. Mm -hmm. or, you know, look at you. Um, yeah. It does hold people back. We had a conversation yesterday. Um, about about how we label things is what we're talking about right now. Uh, mm -hmm. And if, if you're in remedial math and everybody in remedial math fa fails that course, or most of them do, there's something wrong with that course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. let's just rewrite the course and not call it remedial. Because if I had to go <sighs> with somebody telling me that I'm remedial or I need to be remediated, it, it become, becomes you over time yeah right uh we should just call people honor students yeah <laughs> just call them honor students um maybe that's the destructive innovation that needs to that needs to happen 
especially mm-hmm. after the national report card data that that recently came out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that is what we have to do. So if you could go back, if you and you are going back, is it public now that we can talk about this position you're going? Yeah, <laughs> we can talk about it. <laughs> love it. I love it. We need more teachers like you in our schools. And you'll be back uh, in school in Philadelphia t- teaching fourth grade in, in just a, less than a month. In less right. than a month, yeah. My goodness. So, you know, what do you what do you hope to be do differently? Mm. Wow, that's such a great question. What do I hope to do differently? Um, I mean, what what have you learned from your last yeah. since your last experience? What have I learned that I've had to reevaluate the relationship that I had with data? Mm-hmm. Um, I come from uh, networks that um, only cared about the data where our students were seen more as um, variables than actual human beings, you know? And what I'm learning, what I've learned is that data is a form of storytelling and storytelling is data with the soul. And so if with that new understanding, I hope to respond to my students' needs in a way that I didn't have the capacity nor the understanding of how to do in the past, you know? So all of the all of the coaching and the mindfulness and the SEL work and the leadership work that I've developed outside of the classroom, I'm excited to bring that back into the classroom to work with my school students. And the my classroom size um when i taught in a um when i taught years ago i was teaching by myself 30 plus students in a cramped room with limited resources now i have an excessive amount of resources with only 12 students and the amount of of individualized instruction and and attention that i could pour into that i'm so excited about that yeah i'm excited for you and i'm excited for those students those 12 students and their family you know, the research on class size is so interesting. The STAR report was published oh, about 25 years ago, said that in K-2, 18 to 22 students is, is about the, the right amount of kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens, schools and 25 students will put an aid in that classroom and mm-hmm. actually has the um, deleterious effect on student achievement because the kids with the greatest needs get assigned to the person with the fewest skills. Mm-hmm that particular case. So lucky for you to be in and lucky for those students to be in a class with someone who who gets it, has had all of this experience in between and then, and has, you know, 12 students and lots of resources. What I'd love to see happen for you, not not my business, but I love this idea of theory and practice, theory and practice, because that's the way people learn, right? So you, you spend time in the classroom, you spend outside learning, you're going to take it put it back into place uh, who knows you know maybe in five years you take another step on your journey to go back to the theoretical part again yeah uh, who knows who knows no. i'm excited i'm really cool. excited so um those kids who how do you even identify those students with the greatest needs hmm. i believe that they show us in their own unique way hmm. uh what their needs are 
Um, we, in my experience, I've been in spaces where the need has only been based off what you can compute academically, you know, uh, your conceptual understanding or your procedural understanding of how to answer this question. Um, but the need is so much more. The need starts with what's happening at home. The need starts with, you know, um, their emotional availability that they have when they enter your classroom. That's when the need really starts. And it shows up in other ways. It shows us through their academic performance. Mm -hmm. So when you ask me the question, how do we begin to identify the need? Listen to their stories. Just listen. Just be there with them. Be present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I call myself a story believer. Tell us more about that. I love it. You read you yeah. stories. I call myself a story believer because when a person has the opportunity to share their story, it not only liberates that person from whatever they've been holding on to, mm -hmm. that guilt, that shame, that that trauma, but it also gives the the listener an opportunity to gain an additional perspective that they haven't had before, you mm -hmm. know? So when I have the privilege to listen to your story, Ross, mm -hmm. you know, it's so much more than just me having a conversation with you. Like you are inviting me into um, a vulnerable space and I am, I have the opportunity to experience God through you, you know? And that's why, so that's why I call myself a story believer because it gives me a perspective that I've never had before. And the last thing I would say is that um, I was reading this book called See No Stranger by Valerie Kerr. And it's this, and she has this overarching ideology that when we say see no stranger, it's just understanding that you are simply a part of me that I haven't discovered yet. So if I operate with that mindset, it's like, what part of myself am I going to discover by simply listening to you? Mm. That excites me. That really does. So Shelly and I have both been through an experience called the American Leadership Forum. And it begins with seven-minute introductions. You have, you have mm. seven minutes to introduce yourself to the room. And for the most part, most of us, you know, a minute and we're done. But mm. the third or fourth minute, you're telling your story. Mm. Really yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we spent a year together, you know, doing things like outward bound and climbing mountains, and uh, the, the doing high wire, you know, ropes courses. And one of the things I came away with is that we're all broken mm. <laughs> in some way. So you could be the sharpest dressed man in the room, look like your life is together, but if I peel back the onion, you've experienced trauma the same way I've, I've experienced trauma. We're connected mm -hmm. in ways that we don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I also read once that that communication hinges on a story. So if you see a billboard with a young man with his big brother and they tell the story of those two, people then care to hear the data behind that. Well, how many the big brothers uh, relationships, how many? But without the story, the data means nothing. Mm -hmm. Agreed. It, right? 100%. Yeah, it starts with the story. Uh, and yours is a pretty powerful one, too. 
the other thing I'm picking up in this conversation is that you're a reader. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, you've mentioned five or six books in the short time we've been talking. Um, well, <laughs> I didn't even realize. <laughs> uh, when did that start? Were you a reader in middle school, elementary school? Were there books in your house? No, I grew up with no books in my house. Um, the only book I grew up with, um, I had in my house was the required um, text that, you know, was sent for homework, sent home for homework, and then the Bible. But I mean, I didn't read the Bible. Um, so, so yeah, um, no literature. I, and I even went to an HBCU and even attending an HBCU, I think I was so I was suffocating so much from my trauma that I couldn't appreciate the literature that was around me in that historical place, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so I didn't start reading, honestly, until I left the classroom. Um, so I'm 20, this is 24, 25, around that age. That's when I started reading. And I'm 29 now. So, yeah. Isn't that something? Um, I mean, it just shows that we all can grow. And mm -hmm. like, life is mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in a house without books, and uh, now my my house is filled with books. Yeah, yeah, they're everywhere. And they mean a lot to, to to my family. What's your favorite read right now? Uh, I I'm reading uh, Cormac McCarthy's new book, and I'm also okay. reading a book called The Fifth Season. It's a science fiction season. Yeah, it's science fiction. I'm trying to read. Um, more uh, fiction as opposed to my obsession with, you know, data and academic stuff. And I have a book club, yeah. believe it or not. So that uh, on, the, on December 7th, I have to show up at a neighbor's house having read this book. <laughs> incentive at night to turn the TV off. Like, yeah. Read for a couple hours. Nice balance. I love it. Yeah. Are you good? Well, you know what? We have to talk about this on the other side. These, this time goes by so quick. Uh, we're going to take another break. We're going to hear more about Beckett and how we work with young people in Mecklenburg County. And we're going to come back with our extraordinary guest, Courtney Moyer, in just a few moments. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the other side. Meckhead's been around since 1991. We're here to serve young people in Mecklenburg County. And we're here uh, to make sure that they have the experiences, the knowledge, the skills that they are going to need to thrive in life. Young people spend only 20% of their time in school. 80% of their life is spent outside of school. And we want to make sure that we recognize that education doesn't just equal school. We learn in all different kinds of places in different ways. With after school, you're, you're hitting on academics. You're hitting on the things that they might not have during regular school. So like you have visual art, dance, theater, coding. They still get to do with their friends at school, with people who are just like them. Some of them don't even know they could dance. They didn't know, some of them don't know that they can draw. Um, so we try to bring those things out of them that they don't even know that they're capable of. But we've really enjoyed the support and appreciated the support from Charlotte Next and MacEd, not just in um, financial assistance, but also just giving us assistance and support along the way to get the programs up and running. Not every student has the opportunity to experience and, and participate in in-school or out-of-school activities. They have so many demands on themselves. 
And MECED opens that door to those students. Every student is different. And what MECED does a fabulous job of is meeting that student where they are. So MECED is a college and career readiness uh, institution that is very committed to workforce development, has been for quite some time, with a special emphasis on making sure that the kids who face obstacles in our community have a fair shot at a bright future. Right now we're working with young people from uh, Garinger, from Harding, University High, West Charlotte, and Chambers High School. Uh, before the pandemic, they were all on the bottom fifth of the economic ladder. These days, they, it's hard for them to even find that ladder. Then we provide job shadows, uh, paid internships. We'll put, pay for career clothing, transportation, food, certification programs. The goal is to make sure that every, every young person in Mecklenburg County has an opportunity to, to live a life where they can thrive, both in school and out of school. And we believe that that doesn't happen just by being in school, that school isn't enough that to be educated requires much more than school. Experiences matter. My experiences with MECED, uh, they put me in an internship at the hospital for two years. I think, I, th I do think MECED is invested in me um, living my dream. They want the best for each and every one of their students. And it's like they won't go down without a fight. <laughs> so MECED means opportunity. Family, friendship. I am a healthcare tech at Atrium Health University in the Maternity Center. Uh, career Pathways, we work with underserved high school students. We put them in internships at 135 different businesses and industries around Mecklenburg County. It's, it's a powerful economic mobility machine. The experience with Career Pathways, it made me more determined. That's how I got my job at Atrium, because I volunteered for four years at the hospital. So it made me get connections and and they said, I'll, I'll give you a call. With um, the students that we've had, the preparation that they had through Career Pathways was just exceptional. Honestly, I don't know what I would would do without Career Pathways. Like, I don't want to see it. Like, it's not, I don't know. Having someone to talk to and a shoulder to cry on, you know. Different family. Welcome back from recess to Let's Reinvent School with Ross Dennis. Got your thinking cap on today? We're going to teach you how to reinvent the public education system. And we want to hear from you. Feel free to call in to ask a question or to tell us your story. Call in to 888-346-9141. Now, back to the show with Ross Dennis. Welcome back, everyone. We started the show today by saying that everyone has a story about their experiences in school. We should add to that now, that everyone has a story about their experiences in school and in life. And then uh, we talked a little bit about data with a soul, but you know, the idea of stories and being a story believer uh, is something I think is, is missing in our schools today uh, because we're so obsessed with these data points and, and reading scores and math scores because they're published in the paper. No one publishes you know, how, how fewer kids are experiencing trauma or or their mental health is has improved. 
I just learned this morning that 15 high school students from West Charlotte High School just dropped out yesterday. Wow. Just, you know. Wow. Because I'm going to, you know, they can go to work at Food Line for 20, $20 an hour. So I, I think a lot of times it's not just an academic issue. It's connections that people need with one another and with teachers. Having been a school principal, I can say that I thought of the teacher as the school. Mm. So there were some kids that, you know, Mr. Harrison, just they gravitated towards him. There were other kids who liked that Miss Winogle, that that Earth Mother art teacher. And there were other kids who gravitated towards Mr. Messenger, the gym teacher, who, you know, was more of a, a jock, so to speak. So I think that that everyone in school should be able to find a mentor, somebody they connect with. Could even be like the the, the secretary in the front office. Or I don't think they have secretaries anymore, but um, anyone. Yeah, right. Um, so if everybody, just imagine what school would be like if everybody in a school had some kind of deep connection with somebody there, or even a group of people, it would be transformative. So your your story, I haven't asked this question, but I, and you don't have to answer it, but when you, you've talked about trauma quite a bit, like, well, besides the two strikes thing, uh, flying under the radar, what what was the trauma? You don't have to answer. Wow. You know, um, how much time we have? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I will I will begin to say that the trauma. I would say the trauma began with um, my father not being present, mm-hmm. and the father figure in my house being my older brother um, chose the streets over his future. I will say that it then continued to go into, although, you know, like early teenage pregnancy, teenage parenthood is definitely trauma as well. Tra- could be traumatic as well. And it was for me. And, um, I, I love my, my kid. I call him the kid. He calls me baby daddy. That's our, that's our thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was difficult being a, a, a teenage parent, you know, moving into, uh, moving away and, and attending this illustrious institution where, you know, we're painted to, to fit this mode of what it means to be black and male, you know, um, that institution back then from my experiences, uh, didn't fully embed all of the unique Com- beautiful complexities of one's identity, uh, uh, especially as a student who attended Morehouse College. That's my alma mater, Morehouse College. So um, I say that to say that um, I too was sexually assaulted um, and my story was covered up. So mm-hmm. when that trauma happened in 20, uh, when that, when those students' trauma happened in 2019, that's where that trigger was for me. Sure. Yeah. 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 And then the last I would say is then having to spend time at a mental health hospital because I became very suicidal Mm -hmm. and my counselor didn't think I would make it through the weekend if I didn't receive help. So these are all of the things and just to name a few, some of the things that I've had to navigate, you know. That's why you're so sensitive to the $15 
bus fare that the woman couldn't have, didn't have. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting. I've been thinking about trauma quite a bit lately myself. And, you know, my father was abusive towards my mother for years until I was big enough and strong enough to beat him up. Yeah. And to this day, I I see aggression on men's faces that where then it doesn't exist. Yeah. But things you're wow. people your your daughter dates or they marry. I'm always suspicious. Yeah, that, that's my own issue. That's not theirs. So you know, I think it's a lifetime we spend trying to work. You hope that you can live long enough to work through some of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, you're carrying a lot, but you're also giving back a lot. It seems as though one way you're dealing with the trauma that you've experienced is by ch- channeling that into positive energy, the, the joy, the story believer, supporting young boys of color, teaching, most noble profession ever. Um, oddly enough, <laughs> you'll appreciate this. The district is having three sessions, listening sessions to, about the qualities that they're looking for in a new superintendent. Well, I can't go on the the day that they're they're doing nonprofit leaders. And I asked the board president, I don't know if I should say this, but can I come uh, to the one that's for educators? And I was told, no, it's just for educators. I thought, well, I've been educated for 43 years. It's hard for me not to think of myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was I was allowed to come to the one for educators. So honorable profession. There's been so much to unpack here. Um well, that community in Philadelphia is blessed to have you, and it'll be a, a loss here. But I don't know. I think the connection, you know, it it may it may circle back. Who knows? Um, yeah, I love Charlotte. I yeah. absolutely love Charlotte. This yeah. is this yeah, is home. Philly might grow on you a little bit. <laughs> uh, it's an interesting place. Like I said, I, my wife and I are both from Philadelphia. Uh, it's got got a lot going on. And uh, a lot of things that, you know, when we chose to move to Charlotte because of all of, you know, it's a medium-sized city, but pretty cool. It's great music vibe. And we love the people here and the diversity. Um, pretty sophisticated, I would say. Shelly, bring us home. Yeah. What, sure. what, what have you learned? So much about Courtney. Amazing story. Um, I always love doing this, but I think... Um, you know, I have the honor of working with Courtney in our after school program. And I just want to say that um, when he says he's a story believer, I know exactly what he's talking about. The kids gravitate, um, pulling them out in the hall and getting, you know, just so observant and aware of what is happening with these students, listening for things and conversations and not does not hesitate to have a conversation to check in on somebody Um and you just, you see the way it disarms students, especially, you know, if somebody's agitated or uh, just not in the right headspace, how so quickly when you just listen, you don't have to agree, you don't, you just acknowledge and validate a feeling, what you can do with a relationship. And I just, I've watched it time and time again now with him and the students that were blessed to serve. And um, I think like Ross is saying, Philadelphia is lucky to get you. Um, and we hope that you do come back. <laughs> but um, 
you know, you, you had mentioned earlier in the program, having a mentor that you considered a guardian angel. And I think that you've given that back. And I know that you'll continue to give that, that same thing back to the, the many students that you're going to continue serving. So I hope that, you know, anybody listening, just remember what type of impact you can have on somebody. Um, and um, hopefully we'll all kind of take that into our everyday lives and be inspired by what you've done. Um, but yeah, just, I think that, you know, as with every show, we, we see the themes of others in the community caring. And like, that's one of our main purposes at MECED is to show these students, these families, the community, you know, what can happen when you just uh, invest in these youth. Um, they need us now more than ever. Um, and they can do amazing things with the right guidance and support. So we can all be that for these students. Um, so yeah, thanks so much for being so open and vulnerable, Courtney. Um, it was it was a pleasure to listen to this conversation. Yeah, to me, thank you, Shelley. To me, the takeaway is kind of simple, right? Like, oh, oh, I mean, if we just listen with our hearts, with our instead of our ears, our eyes and our our hearts included. Uh, it could be transformative. And I don't think it has to be a teacher. It could, like we said earlier, it could be anybody. Um, we all have a, an obligation to just stop and see each other. I think so many times we just think life happens and we get caught up in our own stuff. And um, we don't see each other the way we, we should see and hear. Each other. So I don't know how you did this. How did you pull this off? You you could have could have gone down a whole different road for you. You could have taken the road that I, uh, your brother took. Yeah. Um, how did I pull this off? Yeah. How did that? What was? I mean, I know, I, a series of things. Yeah, there definitely was a series of things, but I I think what resonates with me in this very moment, I pulled it off because I had a community of people who truly believed in me. And and you made a you made a statement earlier and you were just like, I'm carrying a lot of things. Um I, when we were talking about trauma, mm-hmm. I I'm carrying nothing. I've released that. And mm-hmm. because I've released that, that's why I'm able to move forward, you know? So um yeah. That's I, I believe community and healing. Healing and community. There you go. That's how is I was able to pull it off. Is forgiveness a part of the equation? Absolutely. Wow. Such a great question. But yes, forgiveness mm. is definitely a part of that. You know, understanding that love, kindness, forgiveness, mm. trust, that is not foreign to our community, you know. Mm. And when we when we are able to accept that, we move out of this this idea of cycle that we move out of that cycle of socialization and start to step into cycles of liberation. Wow, that's powerful. Say that again. Cycles of cycles of liberation. When we release and make a conscious decision to step out of that cycle of socialization, mm-hmm. we begin to move into cycles of liberation. That's that's profound. That really is. So here we, we come to the close to the close of our program today. It's been so thoughtful and it's given me a lot to think about, particularly around uh, this last topic of forgiveness and letting go of some of the things that we all hang on to in our lives that just cloud everything, seem to cloud everything. 
So we're, we're going to end in just a moment. Uh, we encourage you to look into Guardhouse, an amazing organization, follow up uh, with NECED. Know that we're going to be here every Thursday between now and June or uh, January 6th for season two. We've got more interesting guests lined up. And Shelly, we hope, will be with us as often as she can, the, the great synthesizer. And we know that um, we know that we're going to encourage everybody to listen more, to forgive more, to see people, see young people in particular, even if you're not in the classroom with them, um, but particularly if you are at the school with them. They're not just test scores, right? We want to raise kids, not just scores. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Let's Reinvent School. Tune in next week as we provide more great insight into the state of the public education system. Until next week, class dismissed. <laughs>